Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, it is so great to be here today. What an incredible weekend. And the week we have before us looks pretty amazing. And I'm just thankful, thankful to be worshiping with you, thankful to be here today. And you know what? It's, it's many times when we gather on these Sundays, it reminds me of something important that happened in my life, in the life of our marriage, uh, so many years ago. You see, two years after Carol and I were married, we took part in a church plant in Holland, Michigan. And that was just an incredibly exciting time for us as we locked arms with other people in ministry. I mean, each one of us, we had left really the the established church and what you could rely on there. Some of us, like myself, left the security of a paycheck in order to form this brand new church that would help to reach the lost. It was incredibly exciting. We rented this theater right downtown on 8th Street to, to use on Sundays. Right down the street, we rented this other building to use as our children's program. And someone in the church loaned us this office building to use for our staff and volunteers. And we were off and running. Now, in those early days of the church, I mean, it's like everybody had embraced a level of giving that I had never witnessed before. If there was a financial need that existed in the church, it was met. If there was a resource that was missing, it was present the next week. It seemed that everybody lived with this all-in mindset. And it reminded me of something that Paul wrote. He said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, how we give and what we give is a matter of the heart. Giving is a heart issue. And and I have to tell you, in that church plant in Holland, Michigan, there were all kinds of really cheerful people who had incredible hearts. It seemed that we had also a lot in common with the first church in the book of Acts. It says in Acts 2 that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to whom? To anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I call that selfless giving. It's powerful. It's like the kind of virus you want to get and then spread to everybody that you know You see, selfless giving was not just foundational for the early church, it was transformational for the early church. As a result of people gathering and giving selflessly, the Bible says that every need was met. Every home had food, and every day another person came to saving faith. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to join. And that's the kind of church we are part of in Holland, Michigan, at least for a while. Well, I said, at first, there was a lot of dedication, a lot of devotion and selfless giving in the first few years of that church plant. Over time, things seemed to morph as we grew into what was more like, you know, comfortable, predictable, and less effective. Over time, selfless giving, which was everywhere, was replaced with a different kind of giving, the kind of giving that Paul mentioned earlier, reluctant giving. You may know what I'm talking about. It's a mindset that says, if it fits into my budget for how I want to use my finances, and if it fits into my budget for how I want to use my time, and if it fits into my budget for how I want to use the gifts God gave me, 
well, then I'll give it. And we respond like that, friends. We forget that God is the owner. We are the managers. God is the owner. We are the managers. When we live like God is the owner, which he is, well, then we're going to naturally embrace selfless giving. Someone who sees a need and meets that need according to what they truly can contribute. But when we live like we are the owners, which we aren't, well, then we'll often embrace reluctant giving. Someone who sees a need and examines that need according to what they conveniently will contribute. Dave Ramsey says it this way. He says, there's only three things you can do with money. Three things. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can give it. If we don't do all three, he says, our lives will be out of balance, and you can be sure that the scales will always tilt in our favor. In fact, a recent study, it just came out, called the Generosity Factor, Evangelicals and Giving. This study has reported that while a majority of Christians here in America say that tithing, giving 10% of what you make, is a biblical commandment, only 13% of Americans actually tithe. In fact, when all the numbers were calculated, the study revealed that the average American Christian gives 2.4% of their income to the church and 0.8% of their income to charity. It seems that a lot of Christians are forgetting that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Think about it this way. Selfless giving creates a movement for Christ. Reluctant giving creates consistency for me. And friends, how we give and what we give is a matter of the heart. So let me ask you, how would you define your style of giving? Or perhaps better stated, what is the condition of your heart? Last weekend, we started taking a look at this encounter that happened in Acts chapter 3. We took a look at the beginning of this encounter. Now I want to dive more fully into this story. You may remember that in Acts 3, Peter and John, they got one goal in mind. They're going to the temple to pray. That's it. Nothing more. They're going to pray. And yet when this lame man basically asked them for money as they entered the temple courts, we don't see Peter and John kind of huddling up in the corner in order to ascertain if this man's you know, need fits into their budgeted allowance for time, gifts, or resources. Rather, they selflessly respond by giving this man exactly what they truly can give him. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he walked. But don't think for a moment that healing this man was the convenient thing for them to do. Because if you take a look at the text, what happens is just after healing him, this crowd kind of shows up, right? And they wanted to know how Peter and John had done this. And this led Peter to ask him a question. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And this was a really great question that led to a really long sermon. A sermon that began by looking back to God's call on Abraham and then looked forward to that call's fulfillment through Jesus Christ. And this, of course, led Peter to share the gospel with them, which in turn called all of them to repentance. And the story isn't over because the religious leaders were listening to all of this and they were really ticked off. And so the next thing they do is they put Peter and John in prison. Talk about a day gone wrong. I mean, how do you respond, right? When, when everything you plan, your agenda, 
has been run through the shredder and lies lifelessly in the trash can. We tend to get upset. We don't see them getting upset. Remember, their agenda was to go to the temple to pray, and they could pray as easily in jail as they could in the temple. <laughs> How we give and what we give is a matter of the heart. And it was their heart for Jesus that kept leading them. Is it leading you? Is it leading us? As I ask that question, I just want to remind us all, today really is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It's what we're focusing on as a church all across the world this week. And as we're talking about Peter and John, there are a lot of Peter and Johns out there. They're all over. You can find them in China, in India, North Korea, Russia, Syria, and other countries as well. People who are imprisoned for their faith. People who are being persecuted, beaten, I mean, left to die for their faith. This is the state of the persecuted church across the world. People who are so devoted to Christ that they selflessly give of their lives in order to advance the gospel. I just want to pause here in this moment as we're talking about Peter and John in prison and to reflect upon all these other people right now in our world today who are facing that and even more. Let's pray for them. Dear Father, we thank you. We thank you earlier for your goodness to us. I mean, we look around and your goodness is everywhere. There are others, though, who are in other countries and other places who are facing such difficulty, such threats to their lives because of their witness for you. Lord, minister the goodness of your healing to them and your strength to them, your peace to them. And Lord, accomplish even greater things through them in that setting, whatever it is that they can even imagine as they're there. Just surround them with your presence. That those who are maybe persecuting them would see you, Jesus, in them. Perhaps start asking questions, perhaps have a change of heart, but Lord, whatever the case might be, we pray for these dear brothers and sisters across the world. Lord, they are following you, they love you, and they're facing a lot for your name. And Lord, as we pray this, may it remind us here today and us online that yes, we have it so incredibly good. And out of that goodness that you've shown, Lord, help us to not hold back. Help us, Lord, to not more fully focus on ourselves, but help us, Lord, to be people who look just through our eyes to others and how we can give and how we can serve because we are so blessed. Help us, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing here and abroad in ways we understand and ways that we don't, ultimately to further your name and your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Peter and John, these people we were just praying for, they truly embrace selfless giving. Again, someone who sees a need and meets that need according to what they truly can contribute. And what was the result of Peter and John's contribution? And what we see here is that their giving led other people to actually give more. Take a look, Acts 4:32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had a need. Friends, that's huge. Can you imagine? And do Christians respond like this in our day and age? Do they? Well, some here would know the name Francis Chan. He was a pastor um, out in California and out in that part of our country, and uh, he began to write books, and uh, through time, his books, of course, sold a lot of copies out there, and he looked at his life and what he was giving his life to and all the blessings that had come his way, and he just really wanted to know, like, how should I respond? How should we respond? What does that look like? We'll take a look at Francis Chan and how he responds. You know, I grew up in a church that said, you know, you give 10%, period. So that's the goal. That's if you get there, you're great, you're godly. Um, so I did that. And I did it faithfully. And sometimes I would give a little bit more if I felt guilty in a sermon. And um, But as I began to study the scriptures more, I saw, uh, I think I'm supposed to do more than that. And... Um, so I started giving a little bit more, and the Lord just kept taking care of us. Um, but then the real change took place when I went to Africa the first time, and, and I felt something for the people, and I loved the people. And it wasn't giving out of guilt, it wasn't giving out of anything more than want and love. It's like, wow. I would much rather build them a high school than buy a new truck. You know, like that would give me much more joy because these are friends of mine now. And so that's when things started to change. And then when I look at it biblically, I go, yeah, and I think that's right. I don't think it's just God wants me to give for his glory, absolutely everything for his glory. But I, I don't see him detaching our human affections or even supernatural affections for people from our giving. I think he wants that. And I think that's the whole love piece. And that's when we just, I came home from Africa and said, uh, you know, honey, let's, let's just see how much we can give away. Let's just figure it out. Let's start selling things. Let's, let's go nuts on this um, because I fall in love with these people. And as we started doing that and giving more and more, the Lord just blessed us more and more. So what does selfless giving look like for you? What could it look like for you? Just imagine. You see how Francis Chan responded reminds me a lot of a man we also see in Acts 4. His name is Barnabas. And Luke tells us here that Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, what do we know about Barnabas? Well, we know he's a Hellenistic Jew. And as we learned last weekend, Hellenistic Jews were considered second or third class Jews by the Hebraic Jews because the Hebraic Jews spoke, you know, Hebrew and the Hellenistic Jews spoke Greek. But we also know that he was a Levite, a member of the class of musicians and helpers who served beside the priests in the daily rituals of the temple. And we also know that he later joined Paul in spreading the gospel in Acts 13. But before he was known for helping Paul, 
Barnabas was known for selling this field that he owned and giving every penny to the church. And remember, how we give and what we give is a matter of the heart. And his heart's example was huge to that church. I mean, he encouraged not only everyone in this church to give and maybe give more, but it in particular encouraged this couple to give. And we see their story in Acts 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So this couple not only witnessed how Barnabas gave this gift, they witnessed how the church members responded to that gift. And they thought really, really highly of him. And they wanted others to think highly of them as well, which is really a bad motivation. Because after all, how we give and what we give is a matter of the heart. And their hearts of self-promotion were leading them. And that's why instead of embracing selfless giving, someone who sees a need and meets that need according to what they truly can contribute, they silently and secretly held back a portion of their profits as they embraced reluctant giving. Someone who sees a need and examines that need according to what they conveniently can contribute. Now, don't mishear me. It wasn't wrong for them to keep back a portion of the profits. It was their money, after all. But it was wrong for them to make other people think they were giving fully, when actually they were giving differently. In the end, their deceit was made public before the church when they both dropped dead on the spot. As a result, Acts 5 says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I think fear set into the hearts of many within that church for different reasons. I mean, some knew they had embraced another form of hypocrisy and what might happen because of that. Some knew they embraced Ananias and Sapphira's form of hypocrisy and it set fear in. And still others knew they were capable of embracing some form of hypocrisy in the future. You might remember this church plant that I was a part of. Uh, it was a powerful movement. And people gave fully, I mean gave so freely for a long period of time. But then the church got really established and the type of giving began to change. And I had a boss and uh, he was bold about all of this. In fact, um, he actually would look at the giving records of the church and confront people in the lobby for not giving more because he knew roughly what they made. Can you believe this? And so he's holding other people accountable for their level of giving, all the while telling others that he is one of the highest givers in the church. And yet through a mistake he made, it was revealed that he really wasn't giving anything at all. And I'll never forget all the tears that he and his wife had as they walked out the doors for that last time. And it reminded me of something I've never forgotten, that when it comes to giving, oh, hypocrisy, it wants to enter into our hearts. We want others to think differently in terms of what we're doing, or we want them to think well of us, or whatever it might be. But we gotta be careful because God calls us to purity, integrity, and holiness in how we worship, how we serve, and how we give. And that's why we see this theme of selfless giving running all the way through the book of Acts. I mean, in Acts 6, a group of deacons were chosen to give of their time and of their gifts for the benefit of the church as a whole. In Acts 9, we see a Pharisee named Saul who meets Christ on the road to Damascus. People later would know him as the Apostle Paul, and he would willingly give of his life to advance the gospel. 
And then in Acts 13, 14, we see Paul and Barnabas appointing elders then in various towns who would then give of their lives in order to grow and advance Christ's church. It leads all the way to Acts 20, where Paul then meets with leaders of the church in Ephesus. And friends, this is the largest church at that time. I mean, Christianity is spreading like wildfire despite the pressure of the culture around it to do the church in. And so these people had grown dear to him. He spent all this time with them in Ephesus. And now the time, though, had come for Paul to share that he was leaving them in order to give of his life elsewhere. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So despite the cost, Paul would keep giving up his life so that others would know that Christ gave his life for them. I want you to imagine the intensity of this moment. Tears welling up, probably falling to the floor as he's seeing these group of leaders for the last time. He says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He's basically saying, you know what? We've run this race together. It's been one of the highlights of my life. I will never forget it. But now the time has come for you to run this race without me. And then he shared, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. And then he says, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. These were words that Christ had spoken that guided Paul's life, transformed Paul's life. And now these are the last words he's going to leave with these leaders before he boards the ship and never sees these people again. So what did Jesus say? This is the culmination of everything Paul's about there in Ephesus. What did Jesus say? Nine simple words that would change their world and hopefully, friends, change ours. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Take that in. Let those words change you. Let those words compel you to action. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So let me ask you, are you fully experiencing that blessing? Are you partially experiencing that blessing? Or are you foregoing this blessing altogether? You see, we, we live in this receiving culture that likes to talk a lot about giving. And we see this in our politicians as well. They'll say, you know, we're for helping the poor. And that, yet when you look at their own giving record, they're not really doing much for the poor. There's a lot of hypocrisy. It seems to be everywhere. And the Bible is saying live authentically. Live thankfully. And out of your thankful heart, give. How I give and what I give is a matter of my heart. So let me ask you, are you more like Barnabas and Paul? Someone who gives selflessly? Are you more like Ananias and Sapphira? Someone who gives reluctantly, but wants others to think you're actually giving more than you are. Wherever you fall in all of this, remember what Paul said, that each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Where should Jesus reside? He resides in our hearts. 
And he is to be on the throne in our hearts. And if we follow Jesus and Jesus is on the throne of our hearts, then our heart will make decisions about how we give and how we serve that reflect the heart of Christ. So I encourage you to ask some questions of your heart. First one, what decisions have I been making in terms of financially giving to the church and to others? What decisions have you been making? Then ask yourself, do these past decisions reflect Christ's heart? And if so, may all praise and honor be to Christ alone. May he get the glory. But if not, Lord, change my heart to reflect Christ alone. Every moment, every day, every need that lies before us, friends, is an act of worship, or it can be. That we're not just supposed to be worshipers here, we're worshipers out there with how we live our lives, how we serve, how we give. So the call has been placed on all of us, myself included. And when it comes to our giving, our giving would reflect the heart of Christ that we live and we breathe and we give to his glory and his glory alone. All praise be to him. Let's worship. Would you please stand and let's sing this last song together.
who just want to celebrate with somebody. We have prayer partners up front. If you have a need for yourself or for anyone else, they are coming up front after the service to pray with you. But now as you go, remember, as you go to your workplaces, your hangout spaces, you are Christ to others. And this hurting world needs to see the love of Jesus. They need to see integrity and thankful hearts displayed wherever you go. So as you go, may your words reflect Christ's truth. May your hands reflect Christ's service. May your heart reflect Christ's love. That all may hear, experience Jesus, and respond to his call. Friends, go now in his name. We'll see you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.